Hi, this is Britton LaRue. This is Moon to Moon, where I talk about cycles of learning with the archetypes of astrology and the tarot. I talk about deprogramming from unhelpful conditioning. And I talk about self-healing and empowerment. In this episode, I share my astrology, my take on the astrology of Sagittarius season in 2020. And there's a lot to say. It ended up being a lot longer than I thought it was, but hopefully people will see that as a bonus. I, um, yeah, I begin by studying the cycles that we've been in and orienting us to where we are in them now. So you can trace those stories, trace those cycles. And I also um, give a then play-by-play of the astrology with dates because I know I have listeners who enjoy getting their calendar out and really living with the astrology and keeping it in mind as they're going about their regular life. I want to share some updates from my end. I've been working my butt off. (laughs) It is my goal to have all of the Living the Signs workbooks as well as the revisions for all of them done in time for December. And um, I also just want to complete this task. Like I'm really ready to feel that completion, feel the fulfillment. I can always amend them and add things and build off of them and I have every intention of doing that especially with classes and community and all kinds of things that I want to do and grow with living the signs but first I have to have the content written and so I've had very few bookings this month because I closed my days to just writing and editing and and working with my design collaborator Angela George to get these to you to get them done Thank you for your patience, people who have been waiting for Capricorn and Sagittarius and the rewrite of Pisces. Pisces was the prototype of this project, and I did it for an in-person class, not realizing that I really was going to do the rest of these. I mean, I I wanted to, but I hadn't fully told myself that that was indeed what was going to happen. And... um, going back and revising Pisces and, and then Aries, like the, the books have changed so much. They've evolved so much. They're bigger than they used to be now. They're um, fleshed out. The vision and the, the structure of them is mature. And so the older books have needed to be kind of rethought and new content written and um, things moved around a lot. And it's all been very exciting, but I'm, I feel very much under the influence of Saturn right now, which is a kind of like heavy, burdensome vibe. Um, I've been doing a lot of calling in yummier um, planetary energies like Venus and Jupiter, Sun, to just help me from feeling so like heavy, you know, with this work. I don't, I don't want my writing to feel heavy. And it really doesn't. I love the writing of it. It's just, it takes so much focus and concentration. And it, um, 
it, it carries with it for me this deep obligation to these signs to do them right and and to not like skip out on stuff and um to serve it with love so uh there's there's not a there's not any cutting corners you know it's like it just takes endurance to do the work and i'm leaning a lot on my capricorn moon for that right now um so I have been able, I've had to quiet down a lot of the other ways that I like to work. And I'm very look much looking forward to kind of being on the, not just kind of, to being on the other side of this so I can be thinking about classes I want to create and getting this workshop going and having more client meetings and um, just serving these other parts of my life with more care and attention than I feel like I've been able to lately because I just have had to finish it and it's sort of a it's sort of a superhuman project I think I'm going to look back for the rest of my life at this time and be like oh my gosh how did I do that and in many ways I don't know how I did it I I don't it's it's kind of amazing it's like a vortex of all my tools coming together. It's like all those years in academia, all those years of writing and writing and writing and reading and writing and writing and hours and hours, you know, 100-page papers that I'd have to write in very short amounts of time with huge footnotes and bibliographies and the attention to detail that that requires. Like all of that life that you know I look like I've abandoned like it's right here with me it's fully fueling this like the only reason I can do this is because I built up those skills through my my previous goal and my previous goals you know and if, if anything I would like I say this to encourage you that if you've walked away from a goal or if you uh, you know, feel bad that you kind of quote unquote abandon something. Like, think about the ways to reframe that to like, you got those skills, you went through that, and now the skills that you learned are serving what you're doing now and they're helping you make what you want to have happen now happen, even if it doesn't look related to other people. Like, you know that you're, you're using what you learned for your current dream. And if you're thinking about walking away from something and you know that your prior goal is dead to you, but you don't know how you could possibly walk away from all that skills building, I promise you that everything that you've been learning will go with you and you will be able to use it in ways that you may not be able to anticipate right now. I didn't know I was going to say that, but it feels very alive for me right now, just like gratitude that I have this really weird skill set called like intense, <laughs> uh, long writing focus uh, and uh, the ability to edit and then edit and then edit and then edit again and tinker and tinker and tinker and tinker. <laughs> it's been amazing. It's also been very humbling because sometimes I just like really my ego, like my, my analytical brain is just too tired to come up with stuff. And I, I've had to do a lot of just opening myself up to the ideas to just fall in, in through the, my crown chakra and just help me write it. Um, there's been a lot of just feeling like 
I don't even know how it got written. Like, I'm not trying to be special. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm, I'm telling you that, you know, creativity is an amazing thing beyond ourselves sometimes. And I love it. It's amazing. Like, you know how when you've been driving and then suddenly you're like, oh my God, I wasn't paying attention. How did I get here? <laughs> Doesn't everyone have that? <laughs> Says the Pisces. But there are times where I'm like, I, can't, I like don't even remember writing this because it's such a blur, you know? It is such a blur. And, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that. That's amazing. I love embracing the mystery of these things. And I love sharing that process with the world through these books. So if you love the workbooks, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep buying them. They're all going to be here soon. I'm so excited to keep revealing how I'm going to be using these. And if you've never purchased one of my workbooks, and you're thinking about it, but you're not really sure, like, why would you spend $35 on a workbook? You know, it's kind of like a, an eight-week course in every book, so it's a pretty great deal, <laughs> and it's so rich that this is not just something you're going to go through and never pick up again. Like, you can be picking these up your whole life. You can do a chunk um, now, every now and then from different books. They're not about coinciding with the sun sign season you can read cancer right now you can do aries right now um there are lunar rituals that correspond with the sun sign season so there'll be like a new moon in sagittarius one and for this coming sag season which you can do that anytime you want to touch base with sag it's really about a suggested ritual for connecting with the energy and some people like doing the lunar rituals with with the actual with the actual astrology, and so it can be used that way as well. So I'm very excited to say that it's all rounding up together. And at the same time, if you can believe it, I've also revised with Angela my Moon to Moon book, which suddenly sold out really fast. Um, it was like one second I had a lot, and then suddenly I didn't have any more. Um, so I've revised it um, to... Uh, match some of my current standards and Angela and I's standards about some of the appendix especially. And then we have created, Angela and I, another Seeding the Year book. So many of you listening may have bought Seeding the Year 2020. It's a workbook for setting intentions with astrology. And this year we've incorporated the tarot, this year we have an entire new section called Tending the Year. So after you've worked through with it all through whenever you get it, like December or all through January, and you create this rich set of intentions with astrology for yourself, then um, there's this section called Tending the Year. And the idea is that after each quarter, you can, you're guided on how to be with yourself through holding to intentions, but also letting go of some of them and allowing some new things to like come on in through at, at the quarter. So ideally you would do them like when Aries begins around spring equinox, when Cancer begins around summer solstice, when Libra begins around autumn equinox, but you don't have to be so tidy about it. And then there's also one for December 
2021 when you're looking back at the whole year and how to kind of wrap that up. So seeding the year, my workbook with Angela will be available for purchase um, any day now. I just need to put it up there and um, it will be ready to ship by December 2nd. So really exciting. It's been completely updated and redone. It's now in color. So it's exquisite. It's like coffee table beautiful, but it's also a workbook. It has original photography from Angela. It's just divine. So I hope that you will check that out as well. It's just like exactly what you need to close out 2020, seed 2021, and then tend it. Yes to that. Us living very intentionally and consciously and magically with the astrology. So, yeah, those are my announcements. It's all very, it's a very workbook related. Um, so, check out my website. If you are a store owner or you are friends with a store owner, please reach out. We're trying, we're trying, we are working towards, we are calling in, we are dreaming collaborations with stores all over the country. You could be a bookstore. This could be a boutique for like bohemian gals who are into astrology. This could be for like a witch shop, you know, like apothecaries, um, metaphysical shops, like calling on all these various types of businesses, maybe even garden stores like plant stores because seeding the year is very like the, the imagery is very like plant and um plant and garden vibes because of the metaphors that we're using in the book. So I am calling in support from listeners to help me to network and to help me get these different workbooks into different places around the country so that more people have access to them and they don't have to only just go to my website to find them. So thank you for listening, and now I'm going to turn it over to the Astrology of Sagittarius season. Thank you. Enjoy. So this is the Sagittarius season forecast for the year 2020, and I'm recording this on November 20th with the moon in Aquarius and the sun in Scorpio at 28, nearly 29 degrees. Um, probably already at 29, actually. Today is the day of my firstborn child's birth, and she has 28-something. Um, I think it's like 45 Scorpio. She's born at the new moon and um, with Jupiter. She also has Mars and Mercury in Scorpio. She's a very Scorpio person, um, a VSP. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she's my Saturn return baby. She's Aries rising like her mama. She's a force. She's, she's a truth speaker. She was born with stars in her eyes. She's full of herself. She is very sovereign in who she is. She's not afraid. And she's not afraid at all. <laughs> and I admire her to the moon and back. I'm so proud to be her mother. I'm so happy I get to be the one that walks this with her. 
I'm so happy that I get to be shaped by her and to shape her back. I so love that we get to be friends. It's a joy. It's amazing to have a 14-year-old. And so it's a beautiful day for me in my private life. And um, while she's here at school, I can be here doing this. This that I really love. I'm totally digging these forecasts and will continue to do them as long as it makes sense for me and as long as people keep tuning in. Thank you to those who've shared with me that you're liking this a lot. You're finding it really helpful. Um, you're writing in your calendars and um, finding it great to have the astrology language reflected back to you in your lived experience. So yeah, that's why I want to do this stuff is to make it applicable. So let's keep doing it as long as it works. So let's let's regroup, right? Okay. First off, I want to say that I am aware that some people listening to this have never listened to my to my podcast or to my voice before and who may not know where we are in the astrological year, may be brand new to the terminology that I use. So I know that. And I also know that some people listen to every episode. Some people are very comfortable with the language of astrology and especially comfortable with how I talk about astrology. You're with me. You're on this. You've got this. We're going together. We're hanging out in this journey. And so I know that too. So I would ask to, from wherever you are on the spectrum, to be patient with where you are. I'm going to try to attune to a kind of middle ground that respects the necessity of giving some definitions and um, um, stepping back over dis previously discussed language in order to affirm that we're all on the same page. Um, and so I would ask for patience for people who are brand new to this to just trust that you, it, everyone would be an astrologer if it was super easy. It takes study. It takes time to learn the language of astrology. It's like learning another language. So the best thing to do is be very patient with yourself um, in knowing that and just knowing that some things are going to stick and some things are going to are going to be confusing for a while and you will begin to notice over time that it feels easier and you're like following along and that's a really great feeling but it's not something gifted to you just straight away you just have to sit with the discomfort of not quite understanding all the time and attune then rather to the thematics that I talk about rather than the terminology so thank you for your patience. And thank you for your patience for those of you who are listening to me um, redefine things or repeat things that you've heard me talk about before. Uh, and, and trust that anytime you're hearing something you quote unquote already know, you have an opportunity to actually knock on doors that weren't quite open yet on, in that realm. Uh, I'm still learning stuff every single day about astrology. 
Astrology is not a subject that you ever can say you know everything about. It's just not a thing. You just will always be learning. And so uh, it's it's great to just be open to like, I'm going to listen to this again because maybe this time when I hear it, something will click that hadn't clicked that way before and it will be precisely the thing that you actually need about that thing. So um, yes, thank you. So the way this is going to work is that at the beginning, what I'd like to do is ground us in where we are in the cycles of things. Like, what's the territory? You know, like, let's get the compass out and like sit down and like the map. <laughs> let's sit down and like have some food and some water while we get the lay of the land again and reorient to what's going on. So that is very useful to do. Where am I? What's happening? What have I been doing? You know, that's, I kind of do it all the time because it helps me feel soothed when I reorient. So I'm going to presume that other people find it soothing too. And then the second half of this, it'll probably be more than half, but I'm really not sure. Maybe it'll be the shorter half. Um, I'm going to do a date-by-date play of the Sagittarius season. I'm probably not going to go over every single thing. Like maybe another astrologer would be like, how could you not include the da-da-da? But this, the thing about astrology is that it's uh, an intuitive and an interpretive art form. And so no two astrology discussions are going to say the same things. There's going to be some overlap in thematics, but through one person's eyes, and that's all I can be, I have a sense for like, this is what I would like to talk about. And it's always going to be partial to the human being that's giving the reading, right? So um, I'm going to say what I've written down as the key points that I'm going to be following in my calendar. (laughs) And I'm going to um, share those. And who knows, maybe in two weeks, I'll be pinching myself that there was something that I didn't talk about and that's perfectly fine. So this isn't the end all be all last word, right? Like if you're really into astrology, you will also go listen to somebody else's forecast and just see how the two blend together. And that might give you uh, a, a picture that will please what you want and need. So cycles. So astrology is a study of cycles. Is when it really gets interesting to me is when you're like <sighs> noticing how their your life is like a braid and at any given moment there's like several strands that are going, you know? And like this is the braid that's one cycle. This is the braid that's another cycle. And there's like these different braids that you're working in in your life. And sometimes your focus feels like strongly in one section of that, you know? But but there there are these other thematics. There's like storyline B, C, and D that are also playing out. And Together, they create a sense of like, this is what that year was. This is what I what was like happening in my life in that, that time period. And so with astrology, we can identify the energy, the, the qualities 
of each of these different strands that are happening. And like, who are the key players here, teacher-wise? So that would be like, what are the planets that are involved? And what are the, the sign energies that are involved and those storylines and how they all combine when you put them together in a pot. And then, um, and so that's really helpful because along with those planets, along with those signs, you can attune to like, what are the, what are the ways to play with that planet in a, in a high learning manner? You know, like what are the, what are the skills to attune to to attune to what would be most skillful or helpful for me to, um, to be with as I'm dancing around with these planets and signs. And the more you get comfortable with the language of what the signs teach us and what the planets teach us, the more you can just kind of know this is the quality of the kind of learning I'm in right now in that strand of my life. And you can also know, am I on the front end of this, you know? It's like, is this the beginning uh, act? Is this the opening act where, like, the new characters are introduced? And it's like, whoa, a new normal is approaching. What? You know? Um, the energy has shifted. <laughs> Something has been introduced. Or am I in the middle of the story where like you're used to this new thing that you're working on being present and now you are kind of working on it. You're, you're working on it. You're learning some things or maybe you're denying it and you're avoiding the thing, but it's somehow there and it's you're answering to this learning experience, this journey, this argument, this, this climaxing crisis, like pick your language. And then you can also be in the, the ends, you know, you can be in the resolution, you can be in the period of like regrouping or in rehashing or in the storytelling, right? Where you're, you're, you finally feel like you're at a place where you can say, I think I can talk about what that was. You know, I, I think that I can put even words on this thing that I've been going through and maybe I should write about that or maybe I should... Um, figure out a way to honor, name, celebrate, contain the, the wisdom and let that phase kind of come to its natural conclusion and then let it go. Like closure is super important in this process of cycles. Just like close the thing out officially. <laughs> and that then allows more um, skillful attunement to like when then you're beginning a thing because there's space to even notice it. So astrology can be very, very helpful at helping us to attune to the various strands that we're working on. And it gets easier the more you practice and the more you attune to the language, as well as I think personally, the more you're journaling along the lines of this journey that you're on with Saturn or this journey that you're on with Mars and kind of collating together uh, a story that's unfolding for you. And always in the process of these cycles, these stories, just like the cycles of the moon, but then also in these larger cycles that we have with the planets, there's like uh, 
there's like a waxing aspect and the waning aspect, you know, there's this, there's a time of kind of like more accumulation of energy towards something might be external, might be internal and a kind of peak experience with the thing. And then there can be the waning and the releasing and, and the, um, surrendering over of things that we would like to, um, just let go of around that topic or, or that we would like to heal, that we would like to integrate, that we would like to dissolve within ourselves in order to create opportunity for then on the waxing side again, more of a building quality and it goes again and again and again. So we, we're doing this like at multiple times, like at like simultaneously with different aspects of this braiding process, if we're going to keep up with that analogy. So what I'd like to do then is begin to think about situating us in the cycles that we've been in. I'm going to try not to be overly long. Just keep it snappy, but to the point. And... Um, that will then bring us into, okay, now what? Okay. So the first thing that I want to talk about cyclically that we have been in is that we have been through a Mercury retrograde. Mercury retrogrades happen three times a year. A retrograde is when from the position of the earth, a planet appears to be going backwards. This is, an, this is like an optical illusion thing from the perspective of where we are. And so since the ancients, when it appears that the planet is going backwards, when it appears retrograde, it's a time to sit back and review and contemplate and then realign with our relationship to the principles of that planet. Each planet relating to set a set of principles that teaches us about the human experience. So Mercury having to do with the mind, with communication, word making, perception, technologies of communication. Mercury retrogrades tend to be a time where we need to step back from the way we're communicating in some way. It relates to where the retrogrades happening in a chart by sign but in a general way, there's some kind of um, there's some kind of wisdom in holding back and letting things take their time until we decide what they mean. It's not a great time to jump to conclusions about things. And sometimes our brain chemistry can feel really wonky during a Mercury retrograde because it's hard to think clearly and have the whole picture. So it's a really good time to just kind of sit and observe and then act later when you have all the information. So that lasts three weeks always. And then, but before and after, there's like a, there's a pre-period, pre-retrograde period and a post-retrograde period where we are also including the experience to the larger things. So it ends up being five, six weeks total. So that really began late September. The retrograde itself was October 13th to November 3rd with Mercury stationing direct on the day of the election, which I talked about last month. 
And then just um, November 19th, November 20th, Mercury is finishing its shadow now. So we're you're really in the opportunity um, now, if you're listening to this, especially soon after I release it, to be able to go like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I was learning about, you know, whoa, okay. Like the, the downloads, so to speak, of, all right, I get it. I get how to integrate my Mercury in a more aligned way. And sometimes we find out where we need to align because of where we're clearly misaligned, right? So um, misalignments in our communication abilities are very typical things to happen in a Mercury retrograde as well as other people's uh, misalignments. They become apparent. And then the question is like, how to sit with that information long enough so that we're not destructively reacting or harmfully reacting and rather learn from the learn from the thing at the same time that this was happening mercury was forming an opposition three times to the planet uranus which is a outer planet that is it's the great awakener and uranus oppositions to mercury can bring a lot of like sudden realizations unexpected communications, um, surprising events that turn the mind in some way. And again, you would want to look to your chart to see where you have Scorpio and Taurus, because that's the the zone we're discussing. Um, Currently, Uranus is in Taurus, and Mercury is current, has been in Scorpio, for those oppositions, at least. So the oppositions themselves were October 7th, October 19th, and November 17th. So you can think thematically to what you may have been realizing. Likewise, the full moon in Taurus on Halloween was conjunct Uranus, so with Uranus. So there's been a lot of just like possibilities for realizations, possibilities for sudden uh, up-leveling, sudden... um, growth in the areas especially where you have Taurus um maybe some stagnation that may have been in that house for you has been opened up because you're now seeing something in a totally new way and you know how to move forward with it now because you've maybe opened up pockets that were currently um obscure or too dense for you to move through Again, that's vague language because it's going to feel totally different depending on where you have Scorpio and Taurus. So I can share then things that have been coming up with me as a way to model how to look at your chart. So for me, I have Taurus where Uranus is in the second house that has to do with your assets, your material security, your finances, How you create a sense of security or abundance for yourself based on your values. And so then how do you like use your resources, 
what are your resources and how do you use them and accumulate them in order to support yourself in the growth of abundance. And so growth periods in that space can help us work on like maybe worthiness issues that get in the way of knowing, uh, being able to grow your finances, of um, value shifts that change your definition of abundance, realizations about easier, better, more efficient, smart ways to facilitate wealth in some way. Where Scorpio for me is in the eighth house, the opposite house, which has to do more with inner hidden resources rather than the material world. And so likewise, growth areas there help you see things inside of yourselves, ways to resource and invest in your deeper self um, in order to identify what abundance means for you and like what you want for your psychological security and your deeper and more hidden investments with your wealth. So something that's been coming up for me over the course of this time, well, first of all, is just to focus on abundance generally, security generally, and money and wealth generally. And honestly, these have not been areas of my life that I have generally put a lot of attention on. And so let me tell you the really cool things that have been opening stuff up. So I've been working a lot on somatic therapy. I've been taking the releasing trauma class with Luis Mojica of Holistic Life Navigation. And I have been doing some work with Carolyn Elliott's groups around um, the idea of being able to take more sensation, that being able to handle having more sensation will allow you to handle how to be more visible, have more wealth. So I, I, I came to wealth money by way of, wasn't planning to get to that destination, but by way of my focus on growing more body, body awareness, more um, somatic healing, more um, tra- trauma healing in order to get better at feeling the feelings in my body. And I've been doing this for years. This is not new. There's just like always more <laughs> that was hidden in there. And I'm always looking for new tools. And so I have a history of numbness. I have a history of numbing out. Um, Whatever I need to do to disassociate from uh, feeling uh, has been what my younger self needed for survival and to get through things. So my trauma responses go into the freeze category of just kind of blacking out or going numb or otherwise just not really being present to what my body has to feel about a situation or feel about something. And so what's been interesting is developing more, um, developing more of a capacity to be with my body's feelings and to be with high sensation, to use words like Carolyn Elliott would use, 
I've, I've been able to practice at practice being present with what's going on with myself. And what's come forward is, the, is an awareness of how much wealth and financial security was something that I needed to, to not face or not, um, not, not deal with, quote unquote, deal with being like favored words by me most of my life. Um, and previously when I had been married, I had the ability to let somebody else worry about that. It was like, not my problem, you know, because this person was going to take care of that. So I can continue to numb out to the sensations around money and sensations around scarcity. Like my body just gets to check out and I have to deal with that. But as a not married person anymore, it's become imperative for me to get comfortable with the sensations in my body that have to do with thinking about that spectrum between abundance and scarcity and, and the idea of like accumulation, accumulation of security, accumulation of, of wealth and like the sensations that come up in the body when you begin to imagine like so much coming to you and noticing how my body like just on its automatic response, it's not conscious just wants to detach from having to think about that and having to look at it. And so it's been, it's, it's been amazing. It's been extremely, uh, it's always humbling for me and I love it whenever I get to go into new zones of healing um, because I get to practice what I teach and stay really in integrity with like, always being a beginner and always learning. And um, I feel very, very excited and proud of myself for being able to do that because you should always be very proud of yourself for being able to commit to looking at ways to shift your habitual responses. And with that too comes a commitment to being able to look at what are the coping behaviors that come with dealing with those habitual responses and to, in the process, begin to then shift your habitual coping behaviors. Hugely transformative, hugely. And so what I'm finding is that in order to... The commitment to be in high sensation allows me to feel more fully alive. And it means that I can't numb out. I have to see, I have to accept that the world um, flows with money. And this is not a scary thing that I need to run away from as as if it's a bad thing that someone has to save me from. That's like the loop that my inner child somehow got on um, and it's so wild to change your patterns. It's so wild to identify the narrative that has been such a running part of the show and just be with yourself through like, there it is. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, I even identified, 
a key moment in meditation from my past when I was accused of modeling for I was I was accused of modeling because I had to put food on my family's table and I had serious high sensation in that moment. I can still see where I was in the lunchroom at my school because every face at the table turned to me to see how I would react to somebody throwing that my way. And I completely shut down. I had nothing to say to that person. I couldn't, I couldn't find the words to defend myself because it was so, um, it felt so threatening. And I realized that in that moment, I created a story that said, I don't put, I don't make money to put food on my family's table. (laughs) Sweet little child. And I needed that at that time, right? I needed, I needed that to fight back from the idea that, yeah, it was true. We we had a lot of money troubles and I was surrounded by people whose families looked like they had no money troubles. So um, it's so revealing when you do the work of going into this stuff because then you can go to these origin stories and find these things for yourself. And so much of my Scorpio workbook is all about how to do that kind of work. <clears throat> and that's what I'm really into. So for me, I can tell you that precisely around the days of those Uranus and Taurus oppositions to Mercury and Scorpio, I had these revelations. And in every case, it was like that evening or the next day where I was like putting it together that those were the opposition days. Because even though I do these recordings, even though I have it written everywhere in my house, like I can still forget how to line up my stories with the astrology until kind of like after the fact that it happens. Okay. I hope that that helps you and I hope that you feel that you're able to reconstruct some things for yourself. All right. Um, Another thing that's been unfolding is that some key pieces of the 2020 astrology that have to do with the major planets in Capricorn, not going to get into the whole deal, but 2020 began with a Pluto-Saturn conjunction in Capricorn. That was the first day that there was a recorded COVID death. That was the day that um, we really started getting these press releases about what was going on in China And then things progressed according to the patterns of Saturn, Pluto, and Jupiter in Capricorn dancing around each other all year. Saturn and Pluto never came together again, but then Jupiter and Pluto had three conjunctions, April 5th, June like 29, 30-ish, and then that finally wrapped up the third one on November 12th between Jupiter and Pluto. I talk a lot more about that in my Scorpio season astrology. So what I'm getting to is that the 2020 astrology that really began right out of the gates at the beginning of January and will close then when Jupiter and Saturn finally come together, 
um, which will be on the winter solstice, the day the sun moves into Capricorn, the story of this Capricorn business is closing. And it's really been something that's been growing for several years before 2020. The eclipses had been in Cancer Capricorn 2018 to, to this past summer. And um, with Saturn being there since December 2017, the last couple of years have just been very heavily focused on the Capricorn part of our chart. That's the primary astrology of the year. And so it's really important to recognize like when you're in an ending phase, right? Because then you can do the proper namings of what you've been learning and what the teachings have been and how you're holding yourself through that whole learning experience that you've been having so that you can say, I'm ready to close it. Like, let's move to graduation, please, <laughs> with Capricorn. Hmm. So now is the time to be really thinking about that because Jupiter and Saturn over the course of Sagittarius season are going to be going into the very last degrees of Capricorn. And when planets are at the final degrees of a sign, they are really ripe for um, wisdom. Like they're, they're carrying the whole story because when they actually do meet, on the solstice, it's going to be at zero degrees of Aquarius, which is a very different energy. So something that I would advise for now through the solstice is a lot of like looking back over and realizing like what's closing out for you. What did you release this year? Um, how have you learned to love yourself more? How have you learned to have more self-compassion how have you learned to stop trying to be such an expert and so perfect at everything? How have you learned that the institutional structures of our world are not perfect and in fact are kind of toxic, so maybe we shouldn't put so much trust in them? How have you learned to uh, not align so much with the structures of the way the world was handed to you and try to get on a different path that feels more authentic to yourself because you're not going to walk somebody else's path anymore? How have you been learning to claim authorship of your own life, even if it disappoints people or is misunderstood by people? But in general, just like how are you learning to be more humble and take it easy on yourself. So those are some of the things that Capricorn really needs. Capricorn works so hard to get it all right. Do, do such a good job. Do it perfect. Be super achieving. And there's a lot of constriction that comes with narratives around perfection and not enoughness. Uh, it's just got to be cleared out. It's not about not doing the work. It's not about not being self-responsible. We're going to keep all that stuff, keep the wisdom without being so hard on ourselves. So yes, yes to final, you know, endings with that. So look, those are two cycle examples of endings. Um, next 
Mars retrograde finally ended. Woo! This is a great one for me, especially because I have Mars is my chart ruler, Aries rising. So Mars retrograde was September 9th to November 13th. Then you have to include the before and after. So for me, it has felt like since Mars moved into Aries at the end of June that my energy was under a test and then it really got intense like mid-August as Mars started to move into the zone that it was going to be retrograde in. And um, what we're looking for now is a sense of like, what have we been learning about where we want to put our energy? What have we been learning about um, what's worth fighting for and what's not worth fighting for? What have you been learning about your adrenaline and your relationship to stress and adrenaline? What have you been learning about urgency and impulsiveness and like the drive, like it has to get done now or else something? What have you been learning about anger that has been repressed and the necessity of integrating your anger, integrating your rage so that you do not hold resentments to yourself and other people? What have you been learning about more effective and efficient ways to work with your energy? How to treat your energy as one of your most sustainable resources? how to respect your energy as your life force. So all of that, again, is going to be dependent on your rising sign as well as where you have Mars, where you have Aries, all those stories. I have a podcast episode called The Energy Has to Go Somewhere that had the forecasts. Whether you listen to it before or not, it might be fun to go back and find that to like help guide you in a review now because between now and the end of 2020, Mars will now be going back over the same degrees and it will be like the third act where we are looking for signs of resolution. We're looking for the answers that we needed to help us be like, you know what, that retrograde is done. I learned from it. I'm creating a file. Here's my file. I'm going to put it in my in my records so that if I ever am having this feeling again, I can like know exactly what file that's under and I can go back to that wisdom because I understand what I learned. So that's closing out. I mean, who was to know? How could I have known when I signed up for releasing trauma what I was going to be learning about is how adrenaline works in the body and how adrenaline affects our triggers and our stress responses and our trauma responses and how adrenaline can mask our ability to really hear our bodies talking to us. And that I was going to go on this journey of removing caffeine for a while and just being with my body without that motor and learning about my energy in a softer capacity 
and a deeper listening, which was very, very, very hard for my will and for my ego. So I got to learn a lot of things about how I merge with my drive and my urgency and my my will uh, as ways to feel good about myself and that it's really, really hard for me to not feel like I'm on some kind of power cord. So huge uh, lessons for my files <laughs> and I'm, I'm amazed. It has not been an easy fall for me because I was in so much learning, but I, I trust the process that as this passes, I'm going to just feel so much stronger. I hope you feel the same way. The next thing I wanted to say from there is that we have been the last cycle in a lot of, there's been a lot of planetary action that's been in a hard square, 90 degree angle from Libra to Capricorn, to where those Capricorn planets are. So first the sun and then also Mercury and then very recently Venus have been in this corridor of the, the 20s of Libra in then a hard square to the Capricorn planets, which are in the 20s in Capricorn. And so as those squares have been happening, there's this, the burden of Saturn this year is so intense. There's time constrictions, so many obstacles, so many things not allowed. I mean, we're wearing borders around our faces. Masks are Saturnian in the sense that they cover, they, they put a wall around. This is what Saturn does. Saturn governs depression and burden and heaviness and isolation. Huge, huge themes this year. So much Saturn of just like being declined the festivities, being told you can't celebrate, you can't gather, you can't um, play. You can't, these, all of these things just are not allowed to happen. It's just very Saturnian year. And so every time that we have these periods of the year where other planets are talking to Saturn in a difficult and like a hard way, it's just hard. <laughs> it's more hard. It just feels like everything's so difficult. And um, it's nice to know when those windows are happening so that we can also then attune to, you know, I feel a little lighter right now. <laughs> you know, it's like... That burden's not so much. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward now to Sagittarius season as Venus moves into Scorpio. The, the Libra space will be opened. Mars will be approaching a square to those planets from the Aries end of things because that's a 90 degree angle from Aries to Capricorn. But the actual squares will not happen until Capricorn season. So it's a growing Thing that's still there, but it's not um, completely uh, the key dominant thing of the of the hour. So we have these little windows in 2020 that I feel like offer some relief from the Saturnian heaviness, even if what they offer is all, like a different kind of a thing that we're dealing with, which I'll talk about in a minute. Okay, so definitely longer on this than I thought I would be, but hopefully you're, it's to your benefit and you're enjoying it. 
The final thing cyclically that I want to say to give the lay of the land is that we just had a new moon in Scorpio. That was November 14th, 15th, depending on where you are in the world. It was at night in the U.S. mainland. So it's important to understand then that the lunar cycle that we're in and the lunar vibe, the, the lunar story, the, the lunar energy is always really, really important. It's, it's really a part of our day. It's like very much the energy of what's going on with us in our daily habits and our daily um, program how we're feeling, what our mood is, how, what's happening, what's the journey that we're on in our emotional lives. The lunar story, it began in, in Scorpio. So it's important to say that even though we're going to be inviting in a lot of like, teach me Sag, like teach me Sagittarius how to be skillful with you. Um, let's go Sagittarius. We are still in a lunar cycle that's governed by Scorpio energy. And two, we're going to have Venus in Scorpio a lot, most of this Sagittarius season. And we're going to have Mercury in Scorpio for, for a good half the season. So there's still a lot of Scorpionic thematics that are present for you. And so if you're somebody with planets and points in Scorpio, like all of those are still getting the activations that they were getting when the sun was moving through Scorpio. So um, it's like that portal of Scorpio where we are really, really invited to go deep, deep, deep within ourselves to potentially do some a lot of releasing work to let things go or illuminating work of the shadow within of like parts of ourselves that we don't look at all the time, potentially maybe working with ancestors or working with um, the deep past. There's so many wonderful ways to work with Scorpio and they're all very deep. That that energy is, is helping guide the wisdom of the Sagittarius season to come until the Sagittarius new moon. Hmm. All right, then. So you may want to have your date book out if you're into that kind of a thing. Or totally ignore the dates if that just feels really tedious and like, ugh, I don't want to do it that analytically, like to just don't, like don't even worry about it at all. Just do what seems to be helpful to you. Feel free to just let this wash on over you, like, oh, I get the point. I don't need to follow it too closely. All right, then. So um, on Saturday, November 21, we have Venus moving into Scorpio um, from Libra as I was just mentioning. So that happens on the same day that the sun moves into Sagittarius and that will be at 2.40 p.m. Central. So anyone born before 2.40 p.m. Central on November 21st, 2020 would technically be a Scorpio. And everyone born from 2.40 on Central Time, on born on November 21, 2020, would be a Sagittarius. And I just want to take a moment to say that the way I approach cusps is there's no such thing as being like 
a blend if you're born near the cusp. You just are one or the other. So you need to know your exact birth time so that you can know which side you were born on on that day. And often just knowing morning versus evening or something like that will be all you need to know in order to figure that out. So it's only hard if you you only you know you were born in the morning and the sign changed in the morning. <clears throat> but for my perspective, and this is not an agreed upon thing in astrology, um, but from my perspective, it's black and white. You you're either this or you're this. Just sharing my perspective. You are fully allowed, of course, to go with whatever feels right to you. So Sagittarius. If you're listening to this because you're hearing it at the beginning of my Sagittarius' teachings in my Medicine of Autumn um, set of classes that you can download from my website, you're going to hear all about Sag shortly, or you may have already dove, dove, dove right into those, dived, dove. If you have my Sagittarius workbook, then there's 160-some pages about Sagittarius for you to learn and you will also get to learn all about it there. Here, I only want to be very brief about like the generals of Sagittarius because I've spent a lot of time talking about Sagittarius elsewhere for you. So things that I would want to say, though, to center us is it's just really important from the perspective of Northern Hemisphere to think about this as the end of autumn and to think about how dark it is. And think about our pre-industrial ancestors who had a lot of dark at this time of year. So there was a lot of time spent around fires, really requiring those fires for both body heat, heat for the physical body, and also restoration of the heart and soul through storytelling and through gazing into the fire and gazing up at the stars. So for many, many, many wisdom traditions, this is a time of year associated with candles, firelight in some way. And fire is a very important part of Sagittarius. It's a fire sign. It's the third and last fire sign after Aries and Leo. So fire element in us speaks to our passion, the animated spirit within us, what animates us. It's then our energy. It's our life force. It's what we throw ourselves out of bed to do and see and feel. It's a feeling. It runs very high. Like when we're in our fire, it's sort of a nonverbal experience. We're in, a, we're in a sensation, we're in a feeling, we're in our spirit. It takes air to um, verbalize what the fire has going on. It takes earth to um, put it into a practical form that other people can see, things like that. So we're, we're working with our spirit here when we're talking about Sagittarius and the, the quality of fire that it is is what we call mutable because it's, um, 
it's a it's the last season uh, last sign of a season and all the last signs of a season are mutable which means they distribute and move things around so it's like a movable fire so what does that look like a torch it's torch bearing energy it has a lot of leadership to it follow this light follow my light following other people's lights a call to something call to a kind of aspiration energy an upward aspiration energy towards something to put the spirit on something to hold the self onto that feels like the next place to go so the symbol for Sagittarius is the arrow like aspiring upward to the stars and the Sagittarius here like works to fill the gap between where the feet are on the ground and where the arrow wants to go. So I'll talk more about Sagittarius in just a second, but that's a little beginner. Upward aspiration being like key terms. So Monday the 23rd, Mercury will be in a trine to Neptune. I would ju I'm just flagging that because when there's really helpful things for our dream self, I think it's nice to know that you could find yourself very creative and channeled on that day. Invite in dreams to resource yourself. Friday, 1127, um, Venus will then be in a Uranus opposition. And that is like a a call out to when Mercury had Uranus oppositions three times. So there might be some new piece of that story that I was talking about earlier that may come forward that helps you in the houses where you have Scorpio and Taurus. Some kind of um, beneficial surprise, hopefully, because Venus is a benefic and Uranus brings surprises. <laughs> um, uh, November 28th, Neptune turns direct. <clears throat> I don't know that this will feel like anything, but it's important to share that yet another of the outer planets is turning direct after we had a lot of retrograde planets just a couple months ago. So just one more to have forward movement. November 30th Monday is when we have our full moon. So this is something to stop and think about because it's an eclipse. It's a lunar eclipse. So an important thing to say about Sagittarius season this year is that we're in, a, we're in an eclipse cycle. Um, as you may have heard me talk about before, if you've been listening to me for a while, uh, eclipse seasons tend to bring a lot of information, a lot of feeling, a lot of sensation, a lot of chaos. They're unpredictable. And we are capable of very fast upgrading and uh, revelations in the windows between eclipses. So the window would be between a full moon and a new moon or a new moon and a full moon or both. Um, it's that space between. And that's like where it's particularly heightened to have this chaos energy that comes in. And the idea since the ancients is that 
when the eclipses are in these opposite signs, they're always in opposite signs, we are getting upgrades in the way we do those houses. So you, you would want to understand right now, where do I have Gemini and Sagittarius in my chart? Of course, if you don't know your chart, don't worry about this. Just attune to like some of the big ideas. Where do I have those signs? Because that's where you're getting the upgrading eclipse-wise. The first of these eclipses in Gemini Sagittarius was last June 5th. Let's go back to June 5th. What was going on personally? What was going on collectively? This was a very chaotic time. Fast-paced evolution. Fast-paced growth. As our country was going through like a new civil rights movement. And very, very quickly, there was the amplification of a lot of voices helping teach people very quickly stuff that they already should have known. But like, let's just, can we please jumpstart some fast-paced evolution, please? So... I'm not saying it will be the same, but that was a humongous eclipse um, for the collective. And let's see what comes in with these two. So I want to sprinkle you with some things to think about to help work with this energy in a skillful way. That first full moon in Gemini will be at 8 degrees of Gemini, and so the sun will be at 8 degrees of Sag. So if you have any planets around those places, you will have those planets involved in the eclipses, so there will be some invitations to up-level how you're doing those parts of your chart as well. So this will be happening in a wide square, a difficult square to Neptune, it's not a close one, but this was part of the wave effect of last Gemini season. Like we, we are in like a collective heightened dream space right now. And waves of people are going out into the streets and waves of voices are suddenly being heard. And we're in sort of like this water of like being swept up in it you know that like swept up quality to me is from the the square that these eclipses in gemini and sagittarius are happening having with neptune neptune's presence here is making it feel very hard to feel ground can make it very hard to feel grounded in your voice grounded in your values grounded in like where am I amidst all of this noise and all of this chaos? Which isn't to shut the chaos out, but it is really important to avoid getting caught up in group mind just because whether it's for the very best of causes, like you want to be in yourself, you know? You, you really will do the best for the world when you are not caught up in group mind. So... That's a potential like a wave of things can be coming towards us and it can have an ability to lift you away from the ground. So just go for your best grounding practices across Sag season and do a lot of like coming homework back to yourself. 
Go back to your intuition. Come back to your, your own throat chakra. Clear yourself of other people. What does your wise self say to do? Um, so when a planet, when we have these eclipses, there's what we call the end one end, one sign has the north node, we say, and the other end has the south node. Don't worry about these terms if you uh, are not familiar, but it's the nodes that identify the site of where eclipses will be happening at any given time. So in my new Sagittarius workbook, which you can get at my website, <laughs> um, I have a section that I created called South Node and Sagittarius 2020-2021, Releasing the Shadow of Sagittarius. Because the idea is that the South Node end is an opportunity for finding the release valve so that you can uh, identify stories, narratives, biases, and material to shed. Like, that's how you work with it. So... Um, I wanted to read a little bit from this section to benefit everyone, whether you have the workbooks or not. Um, I say the south node side of the axis brings us old stories, toxic patterning, and growth areas in the collective and in the individual. These can never be separate. Thus, it is worth spending some time to consider how we might go shadow sag and thus identify where we want to heal and evolve there. By shadow, I am referring to the Jungian term for the repressed aspects of the personality, which are consequently unconscious to us and therefore unknown. We can attune to our shadow because it's the part of us often considered by ourselves and others to be unskillful, unlovable, or otherwise not respectable to one's persona or ego. When we get worked up about other people's shadow material, it's a clue that we are repressing our own. When we're talking about shadow, we're talking about our own unconscious motivations, behaviors, biases, and framing devices for seeing the world. So it's important to emphasize that it takes considerable self-awareness and self-compassion to dive in. We have to be willing to unmerge with our conditioned ways of being, thinking, judging, and viewing, and that takes practice. When you're starting with shadow work, it can feel highly reactive and triggering. Since I presume a depth of self-knowledge in my readers, I go right on into territory that might not be comfortable for people new to this. If you find yourself feeling triggered, please take a step back and pace yourself more gently. You have to get to the point where you understand that shadow work is not about torture, blaming, judging, or shaming. Rather, it's about love, reclamation, and liberation. So let's talk about South Node and Sag. The South Node holds stories that are old and excess. We don't need these stories anymore. And if we hoard them, things get messy, bloated, and stale. We are looking for access points to stories that need the release valve. As you know, Sag has to do with seeking and aspiring for meaning. Across time, various structures of thought and belief have congealed to offer us ways of understanding the meaning of human life through stories and archetypes. We call these structures religion, and philosophy. Sagittarius teaches us that when people gather together around a shared sense of purpose and meaning, there is powerful fire energy that lifts the heart and warms the spirit. And yet, when structures of belief fossilize into rigid dogma, a community loses the integrity of the fire. 
Why? Because fire needs fresh air and tinder to stoke its flames. The shadow of Sag that feels present for purging is that energy of telling people what to believe or do because your way is the way. Things go evangelical with shadow Sag. People get super sure of themselves in their framing beliefs. The invitation is to go Gemini, have actual conversations, get bits of different evidence to steer new thought around an issue, think before reacting. And here's a big one, ask more questions. Sagittarius loves questions too until it goes shadow and only entertains the questions that don't trouble the dogma. And here's the thing. If you think that this isn't you and it's only those people who are shadow, then you're in shadow. Wars are fought, oppression is justified, and human rights are violated because of the shadow of Sagittarius. The last time the South Node was in Sagittarius was when President George W. Bush coined the term axis of evil, and we were in the hot mess of invading Iraq after 9-11. Likewise, the South Node was in Sag in the few years after World War II, when fear of Soviet growth congealed into the Truman Doctrine, which initiated the Cold War. And I go on, um, talk about ways to identify Sag's uh, shadow Sag in yourself. And um, so then I say, so what, so that's what we're in now. Um, okay, no. When someone becomes so passionate, Sag and fire is fire with their view of history or with their philosophy or with their evangelism, that they see everything as moving towards a predetermined end. If they lose touch with other framing devices, if they stop asking questions because the questions will reveal a much more complicated and complex view of things, then things become problematic. And when things get really problematic, when, the whole, when whole families do this in unison, churches, schools, book clubs, country club friends, corporations, political parties, you get it. So that's what we're in right now. To immediately jump to calling out other people is the first sign of being in shadow. Telling people what to think or believe is deeply problematic. Concerning yourself with everybody else's problematic beliefs is just matching the toxicity. I know it isn't easy. You can start by noticing if you tend to forward or post articles to impress your beliefs upon specific people. I catch myself all the time about to do this. And then I notice and step back. It's hard. If only they would read this, they would see where I'm coming from, I think to myself. But that's ultimately still me trying to make somebody change in order to help me feel satisfied. Wherever you have Sagittarius, you are invited to do some work there to, be, to de-problematize how you shape your beliefs, biases, philosophies, and so on. The medicine is a combo of Gemini and skillful Sag. Ask more questions. Get curious. Become comfortable with contradiction. Fall in love with intersectionality. Invite someone who doesn't match your beliefs out for a drink. Let stories rewire to open them up a bit to breathe. Follow the accounts of people who don't look or sound like you. Among many, I'm sure that listeners, you can come up with a, a, an amazing list to continue there. And I encourage you to do that. It's a highly charged time to have this kind of potential for shadow sag arising in a period when um 
we're already under so much stress and fear and people's actual lives are at risk and it's a time when people gather a lot you know and we get together with family members who may have a lot of uh, shadow sag work to do and then they that ignites our own and you know i just wonder how that's going to play out with these eclipses so all we can do is guard our own selves and model skillful consciousness um as best that we can because we can't control other people (laughs) so I really wanted to emphasize a lot of that as something to think about for the coming Sagittarius season um, because unlike everything I was sharing at the beginning which is a lot of like closing it out energy (laughs) like Notice what you've been learning. This is um, still quite in cycle. Like we are not at the end of this Gemini Sagittarius storyline. We've only had the very opening act June 5th and now we're in the next one. And then we've got um, Gemini season next in 2021. And then we've got Sagittarius season again in 2021. So um, the story is unfolding and it will be personal and it will be collective. And there will be ways in which those clearly reflect each other in ways that you might also have some of your own personal stories here, especially if you have planets and points in Gemini and Sagittarius. So if like your sun or moon are in Gemini and Sagittarius or you're a Gemini Sagittarius rising person, um, I expect that these eclipses will be bringing in a lot of change and insight and revelation and aha moments for you. And some of it may be very uncomfortable Because what eclipses happen to have to do is like show us what we need to see to help make shifts. And right now, a lot of us are just really not in the mood for any more shifts, you know, because it's, there's just, it's such an effort to stay grounded. So you have to be very um, caring with yourself and compassionate with yourself and with yourself, you know, and, um, to go back to this idea of being able to be with sensation, to really be with your body and to be with the feelings and, um, and let those be there as opposed to numbing or disassociating from them. But that's kind of me being on a sad soapbox to tell you what to do. So I'll let you know what you need to do. And we can have Gemini conversations about it. And I can be curious about other people's ways of working with this right now. So let's finish up the Sagittarius season astrology. That is going to, what I just said about the eclipse is going to flavor, I think, then the coming two weeks a lot. We don't know what it's going to be. Cannot anticipate what these eclipses will bring. We just can kind of know that they're coming. The eclipses are coming. The eclipses are coming, as the astrologer Anne Ortley always says. So December 1, Mercury will move into Sag. So... Um, another uh, energy into Sagittarius. Like things are speeding up. Mercury's getting a lot of speed now. When Mercury's moving fast, everything feels fast. December 5th, Venus will have a Neptune trine, but Neptune will be square of the nodes, and that could be 
a really beautiful day, but also potentially uh, uh, just a little ungrounded feeling, potentially, December 5th. On December 9th, the sun is um, in a square with Neptune, and then on the 13th, Mercury is right after. Um, Again, those can be days where things feel a little out of touch, a little out of reality, a little hard to think and see clearly, perceive clearly. Um, You just might want to flag December 9th and 13th as not great decision-making days. December 10th, though, the sun is in a helpful trine to Mars. So that's from a fire sign to a fire sign. So sun is heat in fire Sag. Mars is heat in fire Aries. So the December 10th has a lot of like signs around it as being a great day to get a lot of stuff done. Like how's your energy doing? You, you need an energy day. This looks like it will be a great energy day. And then on Monday, December 14th, we'll have the new moon in Sag. So we will have another eclipse because eclipses always happen in at least two. And this will be at 23 degrees of Sag, where the full moon had been at eight of Gemini Sag. So um, this new moon will have Mercury right with it, trining Mars, a a helpful line. And um, to me, the, the chart of it um, has a lot of interesting closure energy because Saturn will be at the last degree of Cap and Venus will basically be at the last degree of, of Scorpio. Mars being involved has separating energy that could be very helpful. So, um, but in general, when we're talking about eclipses, it's best to like back off having a lot of intentions and having a lot of um, magic. It's best to just create a container of space for yourself to you know not get involved too much with collective energies and be in listening. Just be in, in listening and just be wit- conscious witness is what I would recommend because it will be part of that story that showed up at the full moon. And uh, you want to really be with the whole picture before moving into reaction or moving into jumping to conclusions or, or uh, yeah. We're going for coming to a place of knowing and then responding as opposed to just impulsively reacting. Um, And finally, just to close the Sagittarius season, big news, December 16th, Saturn moves into Aquarius, and December 19th, Jupiter moves into Aquarius, and then they will come together at zero Aquarius on the 21st, which is the first day of Capricorn season and the winter solstice. Divine timing So I will talk about that in Capricorn astrology, but it's definitely coming. It's, 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 it's closing and beginning right now. Um, And there's also this chaos instability with these eclipses. So to me, this just like, what am I saying to myself? Like, 
what else, what other advice is there to me for 2020 than to um, be humbly listening, to be patient, to, to notice, to write things down, to listen to the body, to learn from the body, to be exceptionally boundaried around other people, um, to slough off other people's energy and slough off their thoughts and their ways of thinking and their belief systems from my own body so that I can hear my, my, my truth. And this is what I would wish for everyone so that you feel on the other side of it like you were not uh, swept away, you know? And unless you want that, I guess, um, that sounds stimulating, but to me that also feels very out of control. So my, my younger self may have enjoyed that, but my, my present time self um, really likes to come from a seated grounded place at these things so please keep in touch or um, feel free to shoot me a question or an aha moment or anything that you might want to share by email at britain at brittonlarue.com um i appreciate you very much for listening and i'm wishing you all the very best take care take care take care Thank you for listening to the Astrology of Sagittarius Season 2020. I encourage you to please leave a rating or review or subscribe if you are liking this message, if you are enjoying what you get from these. It really, really helps me since I'm a new podcast. I would like to remind you to check out the workbooks that I've created on the signs, the Living the Signs Season Living the Signs series, the my Moon to Moon book, which will be back in reprinting, and most especially my book with Angela George called Seeding the Year 2021, Setting Intentions with the Language of Astrology. And this is my third year to do it. The first year, it was a PDF from a Word doc that I sold for like and then last year this was the very first book that I created with Angela Um, and it sold really 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 well and that's part of how I had the guts to keep going in the workbook business which is now like most of what I do and so we had to do another one again this year and of course we had to completely overhaul it and not take the easy route and make something fabulous and unexpected for you So please check that out at brittonlarue.com. Thank you so much. Wishing you the best.